This episode of the Supply Chain Brain Podcast is supported by QAD Dynasys, a leading provider of demand and supply chain planning software. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company and what it offers to customers. But now, on to the podcast. In the world of supply chain, collaboration is anything but a new concept, but the meaning of the word is changing. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. In one sense, collaboration is a necessary outgrowth of all global supply chains. They involve multiple partners who, in order to plan and move product efficiently, must, well, collaborate. At the same time, the word is taking on new possibilities with the advent of modern-day technology. Collaboration today is quite different than in the days before the Internet, the Internet of Things, big data, and mobile applications. It's both easier and more important than ever to collaborate now. But exactly what that means is the topic of my conversation with my guest, Sean Phillips. He is Director of Product Management with QAD Dynasys. The true nature of collaboration, he says, goes beyond the numbers. But how far can technology take it? Will we see a day when it's machines that are doing the collaborating without the need for humans at all? Here is my conversation with Sean Phillips. Sean Phillips, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. Sean, with all this talk of global supply chains and connected networks, all that naturally leads, I think, to the concept, if not the necessity, of the idea of collaboration. But that word can be awfully vague and hard to pin down, so I'd like to hear your idea of, against the backdrop of global supply chains and connected networks today, what do we mean when we talk about collaboration? Sure. No, I agree. There's uh, often some confusion with this. If we think about supply chain management, we generally always focus about the numbers. Yeah, how much are we going to sell? How much are we going to make, move? How much are we going to buy? We focus on order and order management, and all of these things are quantitative numbers. The role of supply chain collaboration is to manage the qualitative data that surrounds the numbers. Yeah, examples of this would be you know, what assumptions have been made in my plan, uh, what risks exists? What's the likelihood or severity of the risk? How do I manage the, the mitigation of such risks? And likewise for opportunities, how we exploit the opportunities. Are they possible or even profitable to exploit? And definitely for problem or issue resolution, you know, how do we recover from an unforeseen event, a loss of capacity, if you may? So for mine, the supply chain collaboration really means you know, harnessing that collective human intelligence from all the actors in the supply chain about the events, the exceptions, assumptions, risks, opportunities. And these things all provide a vital qualitative context that adds value just like the numbers in the plan add values. The output is generally a set of agreed conclusions and some action plan that we can execute. I think maybe one of the keys here is your use of that phrase collective human intelligence because I think that up to this point 
the information has been there, but it's been there in pools or in silos that each partner in a supply chain ha has the guards their own, jealously guards their own pools of information and do not share it. And so I guess we are envisioning a system whereby the same pool, the same type of information is shared equally among all. I don't know how aspirational that is, but is that the case of what we're talking about here? I do agree that the type of collaboration and the data we use has changed a lot in recent times. I think very quickly about traditional supply chain collaboration that happens within a single enterprise and often within a single geography, you know, such as a production planner has a, a plan that assumes there's not going to be any plant maintenance and that assumption needs to be validated and that's a collaborative process or we're making a risk in a certain product inventories that we're going to go down below down sort of three days of sales or something very low and that risk needs to be validated with the rest of the organization. And, and in that context, the forum and the structure were periodic meetings to identify and process these points. In modern supply chains, things like borders, time zones, languages, they're no longer these conventional obstacles to traditional supply chain cooperation. If you think about yeah, social media, communications, advanced communications, we have free trade agreements and multinational companies. Yeah, these things have all worked to in some way flatten the world. And the players in this flattened world, they're not in the same geography or not in the same enterprise. Distributors collaborate with contract manufacturers. They, in turn, collaborate with third-party logistics providers. But across the multiple geographies and multiple enterprises, they're collaborating to solve the same problem. And they don't have the structure of a periodic meeting or a workflow. They're doing this in real-time communications. The data they're using to do this is all in response to trying to have the best operational outcome for their part in the supply chain. So if I want to expedite production, I need to know I've got warehouse capability. I need to know I've got third-party logistics capability. I, I may need to bring forward some material supply from a component provider. So there's four or five different people that all have to have wishes that are aligned with mine. Well, one of the problems or one of the issues that comes up with collaboration with all this talk about it is the degree to which it's aspirational versus reality. What are the big issues yet to be resolved as we attempt to move toward this model of true supply chain collaboration? It's a really good point because we talk about end-to-end -end data and we talk about end-to-end -end supply chains and we talk about sharing data. But if you think about a supply chain, it's not just about the data. You've got processes. And if the processes are not aligned across the data then how truly effective can a collaborative supply chain be? Just with the data itself, we always talk about how the volume of data that's available to the various stakeholders is increasing. The frequency of which that data is being updated is getting more and more and more frequent. So we have so much more data, so much more often, and we like to think we're making more informed decisions because of it. But it could also be the fact that, well, the data is not always aligned. We're not working off the same data. We're making different conclusions with different data at different points in time. One of the things that we observe now is the using machines and data to identify the root cause of a point of collaboration. And what I mean by that would be, for example, a sales rep receives an alert that their largest account has just announced a intention to acquire one of their other accounts, for example. And that's going to change the demand pattern, perhaps or a distribution planning team has received a machine-generated alert that there's some opportunistic low-cost freight capacity, but that may require something else to happen in the supply chain that requires a collaborative response. A classic one would be a manufacturer receiving an alert that there's loss of capacity at a component provider's facility. Uh, that's a very automotive sort of typical one, but that does happen. And in each of these 
cases I just talked about, the root of the point of collaboration has come from the machine, has come from big data, if you'd like to use that. However, the resolution will be in the form of a discussion by humans on how best to respond to each of those things. Uh, I cannot, for the life of me, for those three examples I just mentioned, I could not, for the life of me, imagine a machine trying to generate a response to any of those three. That would all require responses from multiple actors, potentially from multiple organizations uh, in the supply chain. At least not yet <laughs> in today's yeah. world. Who knows what the future will bring? Now, you bring up machines, which leads us into a discussion of technology, which also involves physical devices, too, which are getting smaller all the time. Mobility is becoming a big issue here. But what I'm wondering is this whole slew of technology, is it simply responding to the need to collaborate, or is there a way in which it's changing the very nature of collaboration? I think it's changing the nature of collaboration, but I think that's to a certain extent, has already happened. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you were to go back maybe in the mid-2000s, before the advent of Facebook and smartphones and WhatsApp and WeChat, we used to use you know, mobile phones and we used text messages or phone calls, and that was the way we would collaborate. Let's just talk about our personal lives. In our personal lives, that's how we would collaborate. In the mid-around 2007 or thereabouts, with the iPhone and Facebook and all of those various social media platforms, we became collaboration champions in our personal lives. I've got seven brothers or sisters. We could organize a barbecue in five minutes with these sorts of types of collaboration platforms. But enterprise technology was a lot slower to realize the value of these platforms to improve their operational and, and supply chain efficiency. I think it's very much catching up. I think if you go into a current manufacturing site now, you would see very few people not using a mobile device in their workplace. I'm sure it's more than likely right now that the Supply Chain Brain podcast subscribers are listening to us on a mobile device. They're not listening to us on a, on a desktop computer. Again, this idea that it actually changes the way in which we collaborate, the fact that the devices are smaller, the visual aspect, there's less information that can be conveyed or in less detail because you're looking at smaller screens. There are certainly advantages to having smaller devices, but are there disadvantages too? The screen size and the use of touch screen and our thumbs, I think demographics are playing a role in that transition. We have a, the millennial generation, they've, they've grown up being constantly connected to a smartphone, and they expect that same type of connectivity to apply to their workplace issue resolution as well. But you're right, there's a big step from a desktop to a modern mobile device. Mobile devices, they bring more of our human senses into play. They have speakers and microphones, they have GPS and navigation, vibrational alerts, I don't know, Bluetooth, near-field communications, cameras, and cameras that can scan you know, QR codes and barcodes. They have security options such as fingerprints and other types of biometric authentication. The point here is that a, a mobile device is not a different technology deployment option to a desktop. That's what it's not. A mobile device is a totally different market segment and a totally different use case segment, and it uses different hardware resources, and the expectations of the user are very, very different. As we look at the ability of these devices and this technology to bring together all the parties in a global supply chain, what are the weak links in the chain yet to be solved, either through technology or business process? We still have yet to have a homogeneous way of doing messaging, even very, very basic messaging. There are many software solutions out there and technologies out there that say, well, yes, we have this ability to do that sort of social collaboration and we can share and, and, and join everything together, 
but every single person in the framework must sign up to a certain technology stack. I think to be successful in this area, we almost need to bring the supply chain into the technology spectrum of the individual users. What I mean by that is if a certain user uses WhatsApp or WeChat or something else for messaging, that is the way that supply chain activity feeds should be fed into that person's technology spectrum or into their tech space so they can respond to it. If they're using a certain type of technology to manage their tasks, whether it be Google Keep or something else, then the technology needs to fit into the user's spectrum. It shouldn't force their own framework on the user. Uh, likewise, for events, we should present events. I can send you an event to put into your calendar, Bob, and you don't need to be using the same calendar software as I do. Likewise, you don't have mm -hmm. to use the same email. But when it comes to sharing things on a social platform, we don't have this cross-platform capability yet. I can use my Android phone to call an iPhone, and there's no issue there whatsoever. But it gets more complicated, does it not, when you're talking about the operating systems and the types of platforms communicating, whether they play nice together, whether they totally integrate or not. And that's going to be a challenge going forward. It's going to be a challenge for us to be able to homogeneously put something into operations that can communicate with users regardless of whatever their end messaging or their end social feeds look like. Now, you referenced the era of big data and IoT, the Internet of Things, which, of course, is a natural outgrowth of these devices, or maybe it's the other way around. I don't know which. And also you referenced the fact that humans are still going to be playing, at least today, a major role in the interpretation of the data that comes through. But, of course, the whole idea of IoT is machines talking to machines. So is there a point at which these devices just become a conversation between machines and technology takes over the role of humans? When we get into collaboration, you know, the machines would generally be, as I said before, they'll be creating and identifying the problem that needs to be collaborated upon. Now, here is an event that's occurred. Let's have a conversation on how we can respond to it. Likewise, they may even augment the solution and say, well, this event has occurred in the past and this is the suggested way you respond to this particular problem. I don't know what the future is going to hold into how smart these machines are going to get. It will be a transitional thing where we go into a period of augmentation and some of that augmentation will morph into automation over a period of time. I think a machine identifying a problem and a machine responding to a problem without a human being involved, I'm sure for some small things like an order is being late, I need to defer some production and readjust my plan because a procurement order is going to arrive late. I think this sort of thing could be automated today. And what form do you think this technology is going to take in the future? We are looking at the, the possibility of wearables, about biological implants, about nanotechnology. So it won't necessarily be something like a cell phone clipped to your belt or being held in your hand. Just in your opinion, what do you think the future might hold? You know, I think we're going to be following China a little bit like that, where we look at the way uh, you know, WeChat and these sorts of social platforms have taken on a whole new life. It's the way you pay people. It's the way you receive information, you receive instructions, you receive most of your communications. I think we'll certainly move down that path. I'm not a big fan of implants or anything like that at this current point in time. I think there's going to be a, at some point in time where we say that's enough is enough, but that could also be my age.
Sean, tell me a little bit about QAD Dynasys, a little bit about the history of the company and sort of the, what part of the market it occupies. QAD Dynasys has been around more than 30 years. We started off as a, a small French company in the Alsace area of France, and we developed supply chain planning solutions, demand uh, production planning, distribution planning, procurement solutions, and we serve the consumer goods, uh, food and beverage, automotive and life sciences market. We've progressed as a company, evolved quite heavily. We're on our fifth now evolution of the product, our fifth technology. In 2012, we were acquired by QAD and uh, we've taken on the name QAD Dynasys rather than just Dynasys. And we continue to serve as a best of breed uh, global market in those particular industries that I mentioned. We pride ourselves on innovation. We were one of the first best of breed solutions to be fully cloud. We've been in the cloud for more than 10 years. We were one of the first global supply chain planning vendors to be demand driven certified. We were one of the first to release smart machine learning into our demand planning algorithms, which we have been very innovative with. So innovation and a very strong customer-centric attitude is really our differentiators. How have the needs of your customers changed in all those years? A lot. Supply chains, as I said earlier, have flattened a lot. There's a lot more data available, and they're expecting the technology to do a lot more of the math. And they do not want to get involved in the math. They want to get involved in the value-add, in the analysis of their organization, running different what-if scenarios to work out what would happen if we went down this path or went down that path and be able to plan their business and be able to make profitable decisions within their supply chain. Likewise, they expect the experience with our solutions uh, to be modern. If we, when the internet came along, we went to the internet. When the mobility comes along, we go into mobile devices. And that's an expectation and it's very important for us as a company to make sure that we don't just be aware of our customers' needs, but we try and anticipate them as best we can and be at least one big step ahead of them. And your product must have to adjust as customers are looking to shorten their planning horizons or at least deal with both long and short planning horizons at the same time. And the planning and execution become hopelessly mixed up sometimes when they have to respond very quickly to changing market needs. So I take it that you've had to respond to those requirements as well. Yeah, planning cycles have sh- certainly shortened uh, over the years. You know, we've gone from a period where most people would do a monthly plan uh, down to weekly. Now, weekly and daily is the norm. And really, we don't see that far away where we'll be doing continuous planning. We talked about the internet of things and having this data available. The great thing about having so much data available is you know a lot sooner that there is a problem with your existing plan. You know, the days of printing out a plan on Monday morning and putting it in your pocket going out into the factory floor and executing that plan, they've changed because half an hour after you've printed that plan, you now know that a given delivery is going to be late or a customer has cancelled an order or you've lost capacity on a certain line and you won't be able to complete it. And it's no point continuing with this plan because, well, that's the locked-in plan, that's the frozen plan, we can't change when you know it's not feasible. So the software today, technology today, must be aware of changes in capacity, changes in demand, changes in material deliveries. And it needs to be able to not just identify the user, identify to the planner that this plan is no longer feasible, It also needs to replan and opt up a plan B or a plan C. 
Just keeping up with those customer requirements just must be the biggest challenge anybody can imagine. But you seem to be doing a pretty good job of it so far, and I guess you have many more years of, of doing the same. Sean Phillips, I want to thank you so much for helping us to understand, helping us to turn the buzzword of collaboration into something with real meaning, to understand how collaboration is affecting global supply chains today, and to talk a little bit about QAD Dynasys as well. So thank you so much for being with us today. No, thank you, Bob. It's been a pleasure. That was my conversation with Sean Phillips of QAD Dynasys, talking about collaboration in the age of technology. Our thanks to QAD Dynasys for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.